Hello and welcome to Employment Talk. We're here to discuss the HR issues affecting you and keep you up to date with the latest employment law matters. I'm Glenn Hayes, National Head of Employment Law at Erwin Mitchell. Hi, and I'm Jo Mosley and I'm a support lawyer here and I write our blogs and newsletters and keep the team up to date. So Jo, I understand that we're going to focus on job adverts today. So why, why did you pick that topic? Aren't most employers getting it right? Well, I thought that too until I saw the huge furore on Twitter about a particular job advert. Can I read some of it to you, Glenn, to see what you think? Yeah. Let me just set out the context first. So this job appeared about a month ago. It was a um, secondary school who were looking for an assistant head teacher. Okay, so this is what they asked for. They said they wanted, and I'm quoting here, a like-minded individual who will work ridiculously hard to deliver for our pupils. When I say ridiculously hard, I mean it, exclamation mark. You will have to live and breathe the school and be wedded to it. It may dominate your life on occasions. So pretty high expectations, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Where do I uh, where do I apply? <laughs> <laughs> well, you you may want to hear a little bit more. So they also set out their expectations in terms of tie, you know, how much time this would take. So um, they said that the individual would need to be available 11 hours a day, five days a week plus evenings if necessary, and Saturday mornings, and it even mentions having to attend meetings in holidays. Now, I'm not sure whether that means school holidays or whether that means actual annual leave for the for the head. So it goes on to say, and I'm going to quote again here, what they need is somebody with high energy and sacrifice and someone who can excel in the position. We cannot carry anyone, okay? We cannot carry anyone. We need a commitment from our assistant head teacher to stay until the job is done. So would you would you want to apply to that, Glenn, assuming that you were suitably skilled to be a head teacher or an sounds assistant like head teacher? Sounds like a job in the law, Joe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd, uh, I might withdraw my initial interest. <laughs> yeah. What sort of person do you think would apply for that job? Oof, wow. Um, well, clearly somebody who doesn't have a lot going on in the in the rest of their life, I imagine. But I mean, mm. look, do do you really need to say all of that stuff to to get the right candidate of uh, quality of candidate? That's what that's what I would question. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to that job at a bit later on. But I thought before we do that, shall we start with the basics? And can I ask you? What's the main risk for employers when deciding what to put in an advert? Well, because people aren't in employment um, when responding to an advert, there's there's often a misconception that it doesn't it doesn't pose the risk of any legal claims. But that's not actually right. In fairness, quite often the danger around adverts results in discriminatory language being used. So, you know, if you take an extreme example, for example, you might say um, pregnant people may not apply. You know, and every, I think everybody would would recognise that there's there's an issue there, to put it mildly. Okay, you do see less of it these days, but in the past it was fairly common to see adverts which put off people of a particular age. So you might have comments to say, you know, requires young, you know, young and 
person uh, between the ages of whatever to whatever. And I think Ryanair were fined, weren't they, in 2001 for using ageist language. I think they got hit with a, an eight grand fine yeah. for advertising for a director of regulatory affairs. And the job advert said something like the ideal candidate will be young and dynamic. Yeah, so, I remember you know, that It's case. that type of language that gets you into trouble, in my view. Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that Ryanair initially refused to reword that ad because they didn't accept that it was discriminatory? Right, well, uh, well, I mean, it certainly conjures up connotations of age in my head, so I'm not quite sure on what basis it, 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 it wouldn't have those alarm bells ringing. Absolutely. Do you know what they said young and dynamic meant in that ad? Uh, enthusiastic, um, you prepared to embrace in a certain culture. I, I have no idea what, what did they no, mean. You are on the right lines. I mean, what they said is that the reference to being young implied a state of mind. So somebody that was young in spirit. What's fun and what an old people can't, older people can't do that, can they know? Well, speaking as an older person, you tell me. I think you've still got a few <laughs> years I'm, left yet, yeah. so don't worry. I think I'm pretty uh, young in spirit in lots of ways. But any, in any event, the um, courts didn't believe them. And there was evidence that was presented which said that only people under the age of 40 actually applied. So it yeah. clearly deterred other people from doing that job. And when you consider the seniority of the role, it was for a... Director of Regulatory Affairs. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so you must be quite senior to So you would need a senior person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, senior in terms of you know experience yeah. and you know ability as opposed to seeing you in terms of age yeah it doesn't absolutely. automatically follow it has to be somebody of a particular age yeah yeah okay can i give you a few descriptors then and ask for your views on whether employers should use these then glenn yep okay let's start with barmaid and handyman uh, well it implies that you're looking for somebody of a particular sex or so suspect men will be deterred from applying for the bar job as a barmaid and women will be deterred from applying to do the maintenance work because it advertises for a handy man yeah okay yeah so i, I think agree. there's an issue there what about the words fit strong or energetic well i think it depends on the context really and what they're doing so um you know i would ask you know what job they're doing you know is it necessary to be of a certain fitness level or of a certain strength so you know do you have to lift certain things for example um in order to do it so you know there there are examples where that type of language might be appropriate so you know the, the obvious one i can think of and it has been used in case law before is that of a firefighter mm -hmm. not necessarily a fireman okay but a firefighter i.e do you need to be of a certain fitness level or strength level in order to do the role? You know, and yeah. the, the forces are a bit of another example for that, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. And I think actually from memory, they relaxed a lot of their height restrictions, didn't they, some years ago? Because obviously men tend to be taller than women. And I seem to remember that the police in particular has a height restriction at some Indeed, point. Yeah. How tall yeah. are you, Joe? <laughs> five foot one, if that. No, I'm five foot three. Those two <laughs> inches make all the difference. <laughs> <laughs> well my missus is five foot one and a half and apparently that that half's quite important when you're five it foot is one. it absolutely but I'm, is. I'm six foot two so it, you know it, it is what it is it's not just about the choice of words included in a job advert though is it glenn employers also need to be careful about the overall impression their ads give yeah i think that's right joe it's the overall impact that's important and that includes the images or illustrations 
So, for example, the Equality and Human Rights Committee can actually bring cl civil claims against organisations who have got discriminatory ads. Mm -hmm. And they've got a useful good practice checklist. So, for example, if you're looking for nurse adverts in relation to nurses and you only post pictures of female nurses, that could deter men from applying. Yeah. So, likewise, if you've got images of male mechanics, that could put off women from applying. But even if those sorts of images are used, it's not likely by itself to give rise to a valid discrimination claim if it's just that on its own. Yeah. Yeah. OK, thank you. You mentioned that the EHRC can bring claims. What about individuals? Can they bring a claim of discrimination if they're deterred from applying because of what's written in an ad? Well, well yes, but only if they've got a genuine interest in applying for the job. So you can't go around looking for discriminatory adverts and then trying to bring a claim. And people, you know, in theory could make quite a good living out of that. There's a few examples of that in the past and the courts have made it very clear that you you have to suffer a detriment to be able to bring a claim. You can't just use it as a money-making scam. So, you know, you have to be genuinely interested in the role and then be deterred by the advertisement or the wording of it in order to be able to bring that claim. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And there are, there are you know, we've got cases at the minute which revolve around job adverts and job interviews and stuff. So you do... You do have to be careful because it's not just people who are in employment that can bring these types of claims. Mm. Mm. So you've made it very clear that employers shouldn't use discriminatory language when they're drafting ads. But are there circumstances, Glenn, where employers can lawfully exclude certain groups of people? Well, yes, there are, but they are quite limited. So there are specific exemptions in the Equality Act. So you've got to be able to show that you've got a genuine occupational requirement for the role. So, for example, if you're a, um, a rape crisis counsellor and you're working in a women's refuge, you're likely to be able to justify employing a woman only and advertising for, for, for female members of staff. Yeah. Um, other examples might be for sort of Catholic priests. You know, you wouldn't apply, you might not apply to lay lay staff in church such as administrators accounts to be of a certain religion but you obviously you might need it for for the actual priest role itself so you know those types of things are quite important really and we've seen and do continue to see examples of that and you often see it in the in the religion context actually and mm. about sort of views that pertain to certain religions about you know christianity and homosexuality for example would be a, a good example mm. Yeah, I mean, you can't imagine that a congregate, a Catholic congregation would be particularly pleased if C of E cleric rocked up to give the um, sermon. Yeah, um, so, I, you know, I think, but it, it does go to show you, though, how limited the exemptions are. And it's quite a difficult hurdle for an employer to get over um, to, to, to shoehorn into those exemptions. But there's got to be a genuine reason, hasn't there? Yeah, and it's yeah. got to be justifiable, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so now's the time for your favourite part of the podcast. Let's do our quiz. I'm going to put okay, your knowledge yeah, to the test. A bit more enthusiasm, yeah, always, please. Well, I always look forward to this part, Joe, so <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am nervously enthusiastic. Okay, <laughs> I'll live with that. Okay, so the first question. A council advertised for a teacher who was in the first five years of their career. A supply teacher was already working at the school and they weren't interviewed because they had 34 years teaching experience. That teacher argued that she had been discriminated against on the grounds of age. Do you think she won? 
I'm struggling to understand why you would need someone in the first five years of their career, really. Um, it's so, cost, Glenn. It's about cost because they're cheaper. Well, well why, couldn't they have re- why couldn't they have got to the same place by just advertising the salary at a, at a lower level than what the individual wanted to, to, to apply for? So I think I they think probably did the succeed, con- in fairness, then on the basis of that. Yeah, they did succeed. But I think in the context of teaching, I think there are specific bands and I'm not sure that you can pay less than a suitably qualified person um, is entitled to receive. So I think that might be the, the you know, the yeah. sort of different difference there. But obviously in a general sense. Well, why can't you just advertise right. it as a band whatever? So. Mm. Well, the school didn't interview her specifically rather on the on the question of cost it would have cost them much more money to employ her and the tribunal said that it was an indirect age discrimination claim that the council could have potentially justified well that's interesting because justification isn't normally is is normally not on cost alone grounds they did say that they did say that you couldn't justify it on cost alone but they hadn't considered any less discriminatory alternatives yeah and that that was a 2007 case called Rainbow against Milton Keynes. So do I get well, a point for that then, Joe? You absolutely do. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. So next one. An employer placed an ad for a dynamic young accountant. OK, so that's the sort of language that we were talking about a few minutes ago. A 53-year-old man applied but was unsuccessful. And he argued that he had been discriminated against on grounds of his age. Did he win? Well, yeah, I think he must have done, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't see why you would need to be, use that language in the context of the job. So I think he must have won, yeah. He didn't, but there were very good reasons for that. And it's worth exploring those. The tribunal acknowledged that the wording of the ad would potentially put off older people. So you're exactly right. The language wasn't necessary. I'm having half a point for this. Yeah, you are. (laughs) <laughs> but there was no evidence that age played a part in the recruitment process. What I didn't tell you, and I didn't, I didn't tell you deliberately because I wanted to be able to explain this. To embarrass there, me. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But there was evidence that the employer had shortlisted someone who was older than the claimant. So the claimant was 53. They actually shortlisted a 58-year-old. But in the end, they had pulled the job altogether because it had decided against recruiting anybody because of financial problems. Right. So you would have thought in that situation that they would have explained to this chap all of that, which would have, I would have thought, prevented him from bringing a claim in the first place. But I suppose he might have just relied on the fact that wording alone would be enough to bring a successful case. And as you've said, it doesn't go, it doesn't work like that. Well, why put yourself in that position as an employer? Because, you know, tribunal claims are costly to defend, right? There's only really one winner from that. And, you know, we obviously, as a law firm, it's part and parcel of what we do. But you know, nobody really wins in that situation. And it's a lot of hassle. It's a lot of cost. And you just think, you know, why would you use language like that that inherently raises red flags and gets you into potential trouble? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it was a fairly small organisation. And though I haven't got the date of this particular decision, I think that it was around the 2000s. So it would have been in the fairly early days of age discrimination. And they may yeah. simply not have been aware, I guess. 
OK, before we finish, then I want to go back to that job ad that we started with. And okay. I want your I want your opinion, really. And I'm not sure whether you'll agree with me. I don't think that that job ad is overtly discriminatory in terms of the language that they use. But there is a problem with the language, in my view. I think it's quite macho. They're talking about the fact that they can't carry anybody, that the job will dominate someone's life and that they have to be available all waking hours practically. And I think you sort of alluded to this at the start. It's going to put off anybody who has family commitments. That's probably more likely to be women or people with disabilities. And I just wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think those would be the the major uh, areas of concern for me as well, because you know women tend to have more childcare responsibilities than men. People with disabilities aren't going to be able to work fifty five hours a week, potentially at least. You know, or um, so look, I think it, it causes potential real problems there. And you know, with the disability context, for example, you're into reasonable adjustments and territory as well as justification yeah. arguments. So yeah, I think I think there's a real a real issue around that. Yeah. Okay, so we've looked at the sort of potential discriminatory language around that. Can we now look at the other legal issues, please? So the job advert implies that the candidate will need to work at least 55 hours a week. And actually, it suggests that it will actually be more than that, because if you add Saturday mornings, detentions and, you know, being contacted um, at any time during the evening, um, you're going to be looking at a, a, a longer working week than that. Is like that a good thing? School. Sorry? Um, it's like being at Matilda, this school, if you've ever seen the film. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Actually. Have you not? Well, my, obviously, I've got young kids, so I watched it about 100 times in the last week. So, um, look, there's there's issues around the working time regulations, for example. So, there's a, you know, obviously, under the working time regs, there's a 48 hour week averaged over 17 week periods, subject to opt outs and the like. There's a health and safety issue there. So, it's known that people who work long hours, generally 55 plus, is going to be regarded as a long working week more likely to suffer serious health problems, you know, heart disease, stroke, those types of things. Mm. Obviously, that risk increases with age, but middle-aged and older people are particularly at risk. And it also suggests that you need to work during holidays, so it's incompatible with the purpose of the working time regulations in any event about holiday being a rest and recovery period. So there are some real humdingers in this one, to be fair. Yeah. And also, my view is that it was really seemed to be bucking the trends. Most employers are acknowledging that staff need a better work life balance. And there was a recent study about the four day working week and they've just come. The pilots just come back and it's been found to be a re resounding success. And businesses and individuals are seeing a real impact in terms of benefits to their health and well-being. And I'm pretty sure it was the CIPD. They predicted that I think it was around 34% of organisations think that a four day working week will be the reality for most UK workers mm -hmm. during the next 10 years. So it, it 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 just looks odd when you consider the, the greater context as well. Well, look, stress is becoming a very real problem. And that, that study that you've referred to there, one of the reasons why it's been such a success, according to the literature that's come out about it, is that it's a stress reliever. So stress isn't the same necessarily as ill health, but it can lead to psychiatric illness, including depression and the like. So there's various things that employers would need to consider. You know, they need to consider things like risk assessments to reduce uh, the risks of, of people going off 
absent or, or with stress. Mm. You've got to identify hazards and take reasonable steps to reduce those. It's not just physical stuff, it's mental ones as well. And workloads are a key factor in that. Mm. So, you know, for example, I'm speaking at a conference next week, at a, which is a well-being conference, and I'm talking about hybrid and uh, flexible working and, and, you know, the, the 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 positives and the negatives of that. So, you know, that's a decent size audience coming to that. And you, so it must show you how important an issue that's become. So, yeah. you know, overtly saying we are going to like, put you under a lot of stress isn't probably the greatest way to attract the highest quality candidates, I wouldn't have thought. No, I agree. And that's why I said about it being quite macho. It's almost like a badge of honour, isn't it? And that you've got to be the toughest of the tough in order to survive in our school. Yeah, well, it's a bit like um, without the pay, obviously, but it's a bit it's a bit like the stockbrokers you, you used to see, you know, in terms of you mm. work till 40 or 30 and you burnt out. And then, you you know, after that, but you know, hopefully you've earned enough money to to not work again. But ultimately, until that point, you've sold your soul to the devil, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Of course, assistant head teachers aren't as well remunerated as stockbrokers. No, I didn't think there would be, no. No, I think they were... a advertising around 65 grand for this particular job well for example on you know people come here for jobs and it's a two-way process that job interview so you know we 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 are not renowned as a law firm that logs its staff far from it in fact you know we've got very good policies in place about flexible working and you know mental health and you know all of those things that are that Mm. are really important now but people will come to us on a job uh, in response to a job advertisement and say what is your policy in relation to flexible working? You know, what is your work-life balance? Yeah. You know, so it, it, it's very much a two-way thing. And it's often candidate-led now, not not employer-led. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. The courts have said, haven't they, that there's no occupation that should be regarded as intrinsically more dangerous to a person's mental health than any others. Would you agree with that, Glenn? Well, well yes and no. So in theory, they shouldn't be. But I think the reality is that there are certain occupations where burnout's a real problem. So I've just mentioned one. Um, but if you take sort of more everyday jobs, you know, doctors, nurses, ambulance staff, you know, there's a real health issue there about burnout and the mm. pressure that these guys have been under. You know, when work's a, a matter of life and death, for example, again, that's likely to be more stressful for people. So, you know, if, if I make a mistake, nobody as a general rule dies. <laughs> Whereas, um, you, you know, if you're on the front line or, you know, you know a heart surgeon or whatever then clearly that there are more serious implications so yeah yeah I agree with that I I think that there are jobs that are intrinsically more stressful um just by their nature and obviously people people's reaction to stress varies doesn't it you know some people can take it in their stride other people can't it's it's very individual acceptable levels of stress are probably a good thing but obviously when when it tips over to you know then clearly becomes a a major major issue yeah yeah i agree no that's really helpful thank you glenn no problem well that's it for today if you want to hear more about the latest employment law updates alongside expert commentary tune in a fortnight and thanks for listening